Well, if you would, open your Bibles to our master text, 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's your, in your Old Testament, for those of you that are still getting familiar with the, the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I know your bulletin says, I think it says verses 12 through 16. Sorry, that's my fault. That's a misprint. We're going to go through verse 23. And we're continuing with a series that I started last week um, on the power of thanksgiving. So when you find 2 Samuel 6, stand up with me if you will, and let's honor the reading of the, the word of God. A little bit of a longer reading today, so bear with me. Verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened a calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of God was entering the city of David, Michal, I know it looks like it's spelled Michael, but the correct pronunciation in Hebrew is Michal, So Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I guess she didn't think that was very dignified for a king to do that. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in in its place beside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. Now it gets really interesting. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. All he had done is removed his kingly garments and he was wearing a linen ephod underneath. So she thought that was dishonorable for a king to do that. She was being very sarcastic, okay? Verse 21, David said to me, call, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And all God's people say, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, praise the Lord. The name of my teaching this morning is Deep Calls Unto Deep. And that's a phrase that's taken from Psalm 42.7. And it's simply a poetic way of saying that the deepest part of a person yearns and calls out for the deep things of God. Now, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about Thanksgiving today, but with a different emphasis compared to last week. You know, last week we talked about the attitude of Thanksgiving and compared it to how unthankfulness typically tends to express itself. Uh, But today we're going to talk about the actions of Thanksgiving because as we'll see in this teaching, Thanksgiving is more than an inner attitude. 
it's actually expressed outwardly as well. So I, I need to say that again. Worship and thanksgiving is not just an inner attitude. Thankfulness is not just an inner attitude. It certainly is that. But it's more than that. It's expressed outwardly as well. For example, of course, we have Christmas coming up. We're in the midst of Christmas season now. And, and most of us here, I think, probably honor the tradition of gift giving during uh, the holidays. And when receiving a gift, you know, it's polite and even expected that you show some thankfulness for that gift and even to some degree some enthusiasm when you receive a gift. Am I right? Now, when I was a teenager, my sister bought me a new set of guitar strings for my birthday. Well, being young and inexperienced and immature, um, it wasn't the kind of guitar strings that I was using at the time, so I guess I let my unthankfulness show more than I really realized because she remarked after I opened the gift and observed it a little bit, she said very sarcastically and in not-so-nice tone, gosh, Andy, your gratitude is overwhelming. Well, of course, that was rude on her part too, but it did teach me a lesson. You see, my sister thought enough of me to, to buy me something that she thought I would like and that I would be able to use. And when I didn't respond with thankfulness, she had a very strong reaction to that. Now, notice that because I wasn't thankful inwardly, that there was no outward response in terms of thankfulness, at least not that my sister deemed appropriate. Okay, Because I was not thankful inwardly, there was no outward display of thankfulness. And similar to how it blesses you when people show you thankfulness for something that you did, and you appreciate that gratitude, God is exactly the same way. See, it blesses the Lord when we show Him gratitude, and one of the ways that He has ordained us uh, for us to show that gratitude is outwardly with praise and worship. So that's our topic today. Now, let's go back and make some observations from our master text from 2 Samuel in, with this scene between Michal and David. Uh, I want to make a key notation here, a key thought based upon that reading, that worship, by definition, ladies and gentlemen, is expressive. Worship, by definition, is expressive, but, and here's the key thought, the other, other side of that is, some people won't like it. Some people won't like your expressiveness. See, they'll say you're being too emotional, right? They say that you're not reverent enough. They'll say that you're embarrassing yourself, right? See, these are all the things that Michal said to David in so many words, and God heard it. Now, while the Bible doesn't specifically say that God struck her with barrenness, that's kind of the implication. Um, because at the very end of it, it says that, that Michal had no children until the day of her death. It doesn't say specifically that God did that. But that's kind of the implication of the reading, that God heard it, was displeased with her judging David's worship, and struck her with barrenness as a result of it. So the Lord took that very seriously. He took it very personally that Michal judged David in that way, judged his worship. Now, by the way, I heard a teaching some time ago, and I can't remember um, where I got this quote from, but I'm going to put it on the screen as I remember it, and, I, and again, I don't remember who this was from, so I, I can't give the person credit, 
But this was a great quote that, that really stuck with me when I heard this teaching. <clears throat> and maybe it wasn't even a teaching. Maybe it was just a testimony. I don't remember. Uh, but the individual said this, I refuse to tone down my enthusiasm for God to please people who are less passionate about him. Amen. Isn't that great? I refuse to tone down my enthusiasm for God to please people who are less passionate about him. That was kind of the, the, the attitude that Michal had. Uh, and, and, and David, David refused to tone down his enthusiasm to please Michal, who was apparently less passionate about God. He's like, I don't care what you think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God. I'll, I'll worship him even more enthusiastically than that. Amen. Praise God. Now, by the way, I want to give you a quote here from a, uh, a Roman philosopher by the name of Marcus Tullius Cicero. And this was not a Christian man. He was a Roman philosopher, but even he understood the importance of thankfulness. He said this, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. Now, that was his opinion and his observation about thankfulness. So my point is that even the non-Christian world understands and recognizes the importance of thankfulness. So let's discuss now the, the many expressions in the Bible of thankfulness, and let's glean some wisdom here from the Scriptures. Now, the first one I want to bring to your attention is quiet reverence. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So there is a time and a place for quiet reflection and just to be still and know that God is the Lord. Amen. Now, by the way, this particular expression of thankfulness and worship and the next two of the, the list of many that I'm going to give you, so these first three uh, expressions of worship that I'm about to give you are already pretty accepted and pretty easy in most Protestant white churches here in the West. Um, but as we move through this teaching and we look at some of the other expressions of worship um, that are in the Bible, um, each one may possibly get increasingly more challenging for us uh, Caucasian worshipers. Now, why do I put any emphasis at all upon the color of one's skin? was because white people here in the West and also certain places in Europe um, hold our sophistication in highest regard, okay? See, we don't tend to be very expressive in our worship a lot of times, and we like it that way. Now, there are, there, of course, there's exceptions to this, right? The Scottish people are white, and they're very expressive. The Irish are white. They're very expressive. And, of course, the Irish kind of have a reputation of being very emotional and wearing their feelings on their sleeves. That's kind of the reputation that they have. That's why you, you're, you hear that term, the fighting Irish. You ever heard that term? Well, that's where that came from, the, the reputation of the Irish. So they're white people, and they're very expressive. But, you know, a lot of the British aristocrats love their quiet sophistication. And that's where a lot of this Western mindset comes from. But I want you to know that the Jewish people likewise were and are very expressive people. And God apparently likes it that way. He chose them on purpose. And boy, the, the, the Jews were like really expressive. I mean... When, they, when, when something good happened, they would celebrate so loudly you could hear the party in the next town. And when something really outrageous happened, they strapped on their swords and threw dust in the air and somebody's probably going to die that day, right? So they were extremely expressive people. 
And God, again, apparently liked it that way. So Hispanics, blacks, American Indians, Eastern Indians, Greeks, Italians, they're all very expressive people. And of course, those of you that have been with us for a while remember that we space shared in a church building with the Hispanic congregation for three years. And uh, man, they were really expressive folks. I mean, I attended a couple of their worship services and you know what? I actually loved it. I really did. They're so expressive. I mean, everybody, they were like, they were rocking the house. And, uh, you know, the, the, the worship team was blaring and everybody was into it. And I, I looked around like, this is great. Everybody here is excited about the Lord. I really liked it. I, re- I was thinking about this. I don't know what you think about this. This just hit my mind this morning as I was thinking about this teaching. I, I think we all ought to experience different cultures in worship sometimes. Maybe it would be a good idea. I don't know if Pastor Raphael, our, our, our friend just up the road here that we space shared with for three years, I don't know if he would allow us. I don't know if there's even room for us to just visit his church one Sunday and just, you know, not attend here, but go to his church and just experience a different atmosphere and experience what different cultures and different people do in worship. And I think it would be an eye opener for you. Would you enjoy that? Yeah, I think I'm going to talk to him and see if there's a, a day sometime that we can do that. And um, I think he would be very honored by that also, by the way. So let me get back to you on that. I'm going to talk to him and see if we can arrange something like that. So I bring all that up to say this. As we get into the different expressions of worship here this morning, I think that all the different personality types and the ethnic backgrounds can actually learn from one another. You know, the more expressive people that are naturally like that, I think that they could benefit from learning the, the, uh, the merits of quiet reflection. Like this verse says in, in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. That truly is a very important um, reflection or a very important aspect of worship. And I think the less expressive people could also learn to be more expressive at times. Now, by the way, let me address something really quickly here before we get into the rest of these worship expressions. Some people will say regarding how they interact with the world and and interact with God and and in worship, they'll say, well, you know, this is just the way I'm wired. Okay, let me address that. Okay, one thing I've learned about people and human nature is that everyone has a particular personality strength that God has given them. And what I've learned is that with every personality strength, there is a corresponding weakness. Let me explain what I mean by that. In other words, um, if you tend to be a very analytical person, well, that's a strength. God made you that way. That's a benefit to the world. Uh, So that's a strength. But the corresponding weakness is that you might not be very good in social settings, and you may lack in social graces to a certain degree, and you, you may find it challenging to express yourself well. I've known people that are very analytical like that, and that's typically, not in all cases, but in many cases, that's the corresponding weakness. Or you may be on the other end of the spectrum. You might be a very expressive person, and you may love social interaction, and that's a strength too. God's blessed you in that way. But the corresponding weakness is that is, um, sometimes people like that, uh, their weakness is knowing when to talk and when to be quiet and when to express yourself, and when to just back off and let the other person shine. Does that make sense? So my point in bringing that up is that, yes, 
God did make you a certain way, and he did give you certain uh, personality strengths, and we should be willing to use those traits and use those personality strengths for his glory. But he also expects us to address our weaknesses and learn to do things his way, and instead of making excuses and just chalking it up as, well, that's just the way I'm wired, okay? So I'm going to ask you to keep an open heart and mind as we move through the rest of these expressions of worship, because listen, I'm not going to give you my opinion this morning. I'm going to teach 100% from the Word of God. So would that be okay? All right, let's continue. The next worship expression is the clapping of hands. Now again, a lot of us in this style of church don't find that too difficult. Uh, Psalm 47.1 says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The shouting part, I'm going to get to that later in a, in a different verse, but I just want to focus on the clapping right now. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So clapping is yet another expression of worship. But let's move through that one. Here's the next one. I'm going to give you some words out of the Hebrew here, because as you move through the book of uh, Psalm, uh, you're going to find these different words that appear in English as like the word worship or praise or celebrate or rejoice, something like that. But all these different words in the Hebrew have different slants and different meanings to them. So the word zamar, which appears in um, this verse right here, Psalm 717, I will praise, that word praise in the Hebrew is the word zamar. So I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Well, that word zamar in the Hebrew means to touch the strings, to make music with instruments, mostly in a rejoicing manner. So that's the word zamar, which we see in English as praise. So again, you've heard me talk about before that the Hebrew and the Greek are very expansive languages, and it's hard to squeeze down that very expansive language into the very simplistic language that we have as English. So that's why knowing a little bit of Hebrew and Greek is always beneficial to help to understand the scriptures a little bit better. Let me give you another scripture along these lines as it pertains to musical instruments and the, the importance that God places upon that. Uh, Psalm 150, verses 3 through 6. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think God likes instruments. Yes. Hallelujah. I like instruments too. Yeah, so that's the, that's the word zamar. So that's another expression of worship, uh, the use of instruments. The next one is this, barak. Now, barak means to kneel, to bless God, and to bow down. In Psalm 18, verse 46, it says, The Lord lives, may my rock be praised. That's the word barak. The God of my salvation is exalted. So you can read it like this, The Lord lives, may, uh, may my God, may my rock be praised knelt down to in praise. That's really probably the better way of understanding that word. So again, Barak means to kneel, to bow down, and it communicates that the Lord holds a place of reverence and honor in our hearts, and it helps us to remember that He is God and we're not. He's the creator, we're the creature. It helps us to remember that He is to be honored and revered, right? Now, listen, Barak or kneeling or bowing is not done out of a groveling attitude, but rather a sense of adoration 
That's how the word Barak is really to be understood. Okay? Adoration. Let me move on here. Here's the next one. Tehillah means to sing praises, to sing out of the Spirit spontaneously. You'll find that one used in Psalm 22.3 that you heard me quote just this morning. But you are holy who inhabits the praises or Tehillah of Israel. Again, that means to sing praises, singing out of the Spirit spontaneously. So it means to sing unrehearsed, unplanned praises to the Lord. So this could mean, uh, it could include adding words to an existing song or just making something up as you go uh, or even singing in the Spirit in tongues. Uh, So it includes all of those things. But that's an expression of worship as well. By the way, let me pause right there. I see some of you bundling up. Is it a little cold in here to some of you? Are you... Huh? I got some people saying, yeah, I got some. It's cool? Okay. Yeah, we can bump it up. I don't know what it's on there, but bump it up to, you know, at least one notch there. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I don't want you to be uncomfortable while I'm preaching. Okay. (laughs) Well, hey, I'm going to make you uncomfortable in a different way, Bill. Okay. All right. Okay, here we go. Um, All right, so let's move on to the next one. To to Hilla, to sing praises, to sing out of the Spirit spontaneously. The next one is the word uh, todah. It means an extending of the hand in adoration, acting out of thanksgiving for what has or will be done. And that passage right there is a place where uh, that word todah is used, Psalm 42.4, which says, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with the many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful, that word thankful is the word todah, with thankful shouts. That means an extending of the hands. Now, by the way, in this one verse, we see several expressions of worship represented here. So the first expression of worship that we see in this one verse is that worship is congregational. What do we mean by that? Well, it talks about the procession. Well, a procession is a group of people. A procession is a group of people moving from one place to another. They're going to the house of God. Now, speaking of the house of God, that's another expression of worship, that worship is often locational. So it talks about worship at the house of God, like we're doing here this morning, that worship is often in a location. It doesn't have to be. You can worship on your own away from church, but worship also is locational. It is with a group of people. It can be by yourself, and it should be by yourself, but it should also be in participation with a group of people. So worship is locational in the house of God. The next one is worship is festive. That's what, this, what's, what it says. So when you all get excited in worship, you're actually... You're, you're responding in a festive manner to the Lord, and that's very appropriate, okay? And worship is also, yes, joyful and loud. Now, by the way, that word joyful there in that verse is actually a Hebrew word that means a ringing or a crying out. So, so worship is festive. It can be loud, boisterous, and joyful, Right? And back to todah, todah is a type of worship, once again, that includes extending the hands and raising them in thanksgiving. Now, by the way, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about some of the sporting events that I've attended over the years. And when something really happens at a clutch moment 
in sports. Do you know what happens to everybody's hands? They go straight up. Now, uh, listen, guys and gals who love sports. When we're at a sporting event and we get excited and, and somebody, you know, nails a three-pointer at a clutch moment in the game or scores a touchdown at a clutch moment in the game, we don't do this. Yay, yay. <laughs> No, no, we raise our hands. One, one more time? Okay. Yay. No. Uh, I, 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 took my, I took my sons to a Colts game. Uh, what was it, a couple years ago, Drew? We went to the Colts Patriots game last season. And uh, it was a close game all throughout. And then their running back, uh, Jonathan Taylor, he rips off this long run at a key point in the game in the fourth quarter and pretty much seals the game. Well, 60,000 people, every hand in the whole stadium is up like this. And people are jumping up and down. And, and we were turning around and high-fiving people we didn't even know, right? People were high-fiving us. And Drew and, and, and Luke and I were like jumping up and down and hugging each other. And... It was a celebration, right? So don't tell me that you can't get excited about the things of God when people can get that excited about a sporting event. Come on. So yeah, extending the hands is a very natural response to something that you're excited about, and we ought to be excited about God. And on that note about extending the hands, there's yet another uh, word in the, the Old Testament that denotes extending the hands vigorously. And that word is yada. It means extending the hands vigorously. That word is used in Psalm 9.1, which says, I will give thanks, that word thanks is yada, to you, Lord, with all my heart, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Now, once again, yada means to extend the hands a vigorously as in complete surrender, okay? It carries the meaning of, of absolute surrender as a young child might do with a parent who extends their arms asking the parent to pick them up, like, you know, that attitude, pick me up, I'm all yours. It's that kind of attitude. Therefore, I want you to understand that worship, yes, is physical. We, you got to move something. You got to move something. So once again, you know, at the, at the sporting event, um, nobody did this when Jonathan Taylor ripped off his, his big run. Nobody went, yay. I'm so excited about what our Colts team just did. Nobody did that. It was physical. People got into it. They moved something. And their voices, they raised their voices. Okay, so worship is physical and it's also vocal and declarative. That verse says, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Worship is physical, it's vocal, and it's declarative. Now, I'm not done challenging you. I, let me say it this way. The word of God is not done challenging us on this topic. So let me go to the next one that challenges us Caucasian Western worshipers. And the next one is this, the word halal. Halal 
And get this, halal appears more than 110 times in the Old Testament. And it translates to this, get this, to celebrate, to shine, to rave, to be clamorously foolish, to boast. So if somebody were to seriously get up here and act like God apparently acts when we read Zephaniah 3.17 as I opened up the service this morning and said that God shouts over us and rejoices over us with shouts of joy. That word rejoice is a term that means to spin oneself in, in circles out of just sheer joy like a child would. If God can do that for us, then he loves it when we respond in kind. So this word halal means to be clamorously foolish. So if you were all to get up here in the front during worship and spin yourself like a top, that would be very biblical. Did you know that? That would be very biblical. And some people would look at that and judge that like Michal did with David and say, that's out of control. And God would say, I love that. I love that. So again, that word halal appears more than 110 times in the Old Testament. Here's one example right here. This is in 1 Chronicles 16.4. It says, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise halal, the Lord, the God of Israel, to be to celebrate, to shine, to, be, to rave, to be clamorously foolish, and to boast. Now, can you imagine a more wondrous noise and scene? People raving about the Lord and all that he's done and the, all that he will do. That's why I love that Hispanic service so much because that's what they were doing. They were, just, they were so into it. God raves over us with shouts of joy. We ought to rave over him. But look. We've got a lot more to rave about where he's concerned than he does where we're concerned. But he loves us that much. All right, so let me give you another scripture that is related to halal. Psalm 149.3 says, Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. Dancing is a very appropriate expression of worship. Now, I want to tell you an experience that I had when I was at a, at a conference many years ago. I think it was this, this was in Keith Moore's church, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the, the worship team was, was playing. We were all worshiping. And there was this older black gentleman that was sitting in, on the, the, the aisle, the last seat in his section, and he was on the aisle. And during worship, he just got out of the aisle, and he just began to move with the music. And it wasn't like out of control, but this guy could move. I mean, he could, he could dance. And it wasn't it didn't draw a lot of attention to itself, and he wasn't trying to just like put on a show. He was just enjoying the music. He was enjoying the presence of the Lord. And I looked at that guy, and I went, I like that. And as a matter of fact, I said to myself, I wish I could move like that. And if I could move like that, I'd be doing the same thing. But about all I was able to pull off was just this little kind of thing like this. you know. But this guy could move, and I, I went, that... I like that. That, that speaks to me. And it, it, it enhanced my worship experience to see this man, this older gentleman, not caring about what anybody else thought, because it was mostly a, a white congregation. It was a, you know, a, a little bit of, of color in the congregation, but it was predominantly, I'm going to say 90, 95% white. 
<clears throat> and he was there, and it, was just, it just blessed me. That he was like, I don't care what people think. I'm going to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And that ble- it enhanced my worship experience to see that man enjoying the presence of the Lord. So if, you, if any of you ever feel compa- compelled during worship to just get out in the aisle and bust a move, that, that's okay. Don't bust a hip, but, you know, bust a move. It's okay. Okay? All right. That's okay. That's a, you, you have permission, okay? I did have somebody tell me one time, is it okay to, to run in church? And I went, um, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about the running part, but I do get the, the, um, the energy of that. You just feel so, like, so passionate. I just want to, like, take off and run. So I do get that, but, you know, you don't want to run somebody over, right? So that's the only <laughs> caution that I would give you there, okay? But let me give you another one here, <clears throat> and that's the word shabak. Shabak, which means to shout loudly or to command. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Pam. <laughs> to shout loudly or command. But of course, it's not simply about being loud. You know, it's, the focus is to worship the Lord with one's whole being, vigorously, energetically, and happily. Mm-hmm. So let me give you a couple of, uh, uh, of scriptures along those lines. Psalm 63, 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall shabak thee, shall praise thee. means to shout, shout loudly or to command. Let me give you another one. Psalm 47.1, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. It's okay to make noise in church. I'm going to take it a step further. It's okay to enjoy yourself in church. Okay? It's okay. God likes it when you enjoy yourself in his presence. Okay? Now, let me address something else. Um, I think some people might counter this teaching with this thought right here. Well, Pastor Andy, what if I don't feel any emotion during worship? Wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't it be disingenuous of me to do all of these things that you're talking about when I don't feel an emotion in worship? Well, let me ask you this. Since when do our feelings have anything to do with us obeying God? Okay, about five of you are happy about that thought right there. Okay, so look, you know, uh, how about this? Would it be okay if I get angry at, I'll pick on Samara because she's on the front row. She's a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Would it be okay if I got super annoyed and mad at, at, at Samara and I just like verbally puked on her and just like got really super angry and got in her face and, and, and called her names? Would that be okay? I mean, that's what my emotions want to do right now if I'm angry at her. What, would it be okay if I did that? Why? That's, what, that's, that's the way I'm feeling right now. It's not really the way I'm feeling, Samara, but it's just an example. Would, that wouldn't be okay? So... So you get my point. When do your feelings or mine have anything to do with us obeying God? Right? Since when do your emotions have anything to do with us obeying God? Plus, there's this concept that I talked to you before in in psychology known as neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-linguistic programming simply means that when you do something that you don't feel like doing, but you know you should do it anyway, and you 
do it and you continue to do it, feelings will follow your actions. Yeah? That's a true concept of psychology. They've proven that's true. And listen, by saying this, I want to qualify something here. I'm not preaching this because, you know, I don't know how any of you worship. Because when, I, when we're worshiping and when I'm up here leading worship, most of the time my eyes are closed. And when my eyes are open, I'm looking above your heads or looking at the ceiling, looking up. And I don't engage, on purpose, I don't engage you guys. Because my worship is to the Lord, not you. So I don't even pay attention to what you're doing. I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. Uh, so I, I keep my eyes closed a lot of the times on purpose. And when I open them, it's always above your heads. Okay? So I don't pay attention to what you do. It's none of my business anyway. Okay? And when I'm not leading worship, like we did recorded music uh, here this morning for worship, you know, I'm up there in the front row, and I'm not seeing what you're doing. I'm engaged with what I'm doing. I, I, can, I couldn't care less. It's between you and God. Now, I really do, I, I enjoy being in an atmosphere where people are excited about God because it enhances my worship when other people are excited at the same time. So I, I, do, I do like us to be energetic and, you know, engaged worshipers, but what you do in worship is between you and God, I couldn't care less. It's no skin off my nose. But I'm, I'm just teaching you the word. I'm just challenging you with the word, Okay. Is that okay? And, you know, and speaking of that whole, you know, mindset of, well, you know, I'm just wired this way and I don't feel anything right now. Well, I got to get a, a little bit of credit here to uh, Crystal. You know, I stalk her Facebook page because she t posts so many good things. And I, I got to give this next slide uh, her some credit on this. But this also relates back to the sports analogy that I just used. But I found this on her Facebook page, so thank you, Crystal, for posting this. Imagine if people were this passionate about things that actually matter. Uh, I mean, look at those people. I mean, that guy on the front row, I don't know, he's, look, he's what, in his 50s, maybe 60s, and he's going crazy. You put him in a church, I'll bet he's, at, but he's like this. Can't get excited if he even goes to church at all. That's probably on a Sunday. He probably didn't go to church that Sunday. Right? So do not tell me, people of God, that you can act like that at a sporting event. You can't get excited about God. That's a lie. That is a lie. And if you're truly being honest and you can't get excited about God, brace yourself. You can get that excited about a sporting event and you can't get excited about God, that's a spiritual problem. Amen. you got some dead wood someplace that needs to be dried out and lit up. That's a spiritual problem. Come on. You awake? All right. Hallelujah. Now, speaking of being happy, I want to, I want to teach you how to be happy as we end this teaching today. Okay, H.A. Ironside said this, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. What a great quote. And this is one of the reasons why, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, why God has ordained praise. Because, listen, it helps to lighten your load. So I want us to think of worship right now. Just imagine your mind here. I want us to think of worship as a dump truck. 
That's a strange analogy to use for worship, isn't it? But think about this. Follow my train of thought here. When we worship, we offload our burdens to the Lord like a dump truck offloads its load. When we worship, we offload our burdens to him, and he in turn makes our load lighter. Are you burdened today? Do you not feel like worshiping? Do it anyway. Offload your burdens to the Lord, and he will make your load lighter. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he careth for you. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light, the Bible says. So when we engage the God of the universe, he makes our load lighter. Praise God. So let me end with this scripture right here on the point of how to be happier. Just learn to to worship and to thank God and and to live a life of thankfulness. Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness, with gladness. Come into his presence with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, and His loving devotion endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. Hallelujah. Stand up with me if you will. If you agreed with that teaching, give God just a thunderous shout of praise right now. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We worship you, God. You are good, Lord. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.